You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, back this week with our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor, who uh, graciously and thankfully uh, took over last week. A crazy, crazy week for me. I was, like, all over the globe in two days. So, anyway, so Chris had a great interview. Um, you should go listen to it with um, – Is it was it Jonathan Wasserman? Is that right, Chris? Yep, Jonathan Wasserman and Bleacher Report. Bleacher Report, yeah. So they had – Talked all about the draft, about the prospects, what the Cavaliers are going to do. Uh, go listen to it after this one. Um, but in the meantime, big news yesterday. Uh, today we were recording on a Friday, so the big news Thursday. Cavaliers decided that they were going to rebrand, um, you know, using some updated logos, updated fonts. Uh, and they're going to turn back and use real gold <laughs> to become the wine and gold. <laughs> Not going to use that yellowy, mustardy color, which I liked. I had no problem with. Um, but now, uh, now they're going back to the full on gold. So before I give my opinions, um, Chris, I mean, I, you know, I think it's kind of a fun thing. It's, it's fun to talk about. I think the fans, you know, always love a good rebrand. I know I always love a good rebrand. So what are your thoughts? I thought they did a good job with it. Um, I, I understand the direction that they wanted to go. Um, they obviously, wanted to eliminate the mustard yellow. And I think that makes sense that you do because they do call themselves the wine and gold. Um, and I think gold can be really, really good when executed properly, especially with wine. Um, there's a soccer club PSG and they just did, um, a new release. I think about a year ago, Hayden of their third kit. So kind of an alternate kit and it's wine, gold, black, and white. And that's kind of the model that the Cavs were working off of. They didn't duplicate it. They didn't mimic it exactly. But in a presentation that, that I was able to see, um, that was one that they were looking at in terms of how do we now execute this on merchandise? How do we execute this on jerseys, which are going to be coming later this summer before the 2022-2023 season starts? So I, I like it. Um, I think it's all about now how do they go out and execute it. And and in terms of the logos, I think it makes sense, Hayden, to kind of condense them a little bit um, and simplify them a little bit. And, and I think that standalone V logo, the V-net logo that stands on its own that also looks like the Larry O'Brien trophy from the NBA championship in 2016, 
I think they can do some really creative, smart things with that. I could see that being at the bottom of shorts or on the pocket of joggers or something like that. So uh, I'm on board. I think it, it's time to like recognize that this is a new era of Cavs basketball. They hired Daniel Arsham for a reason. He's a world-renowned artist. So take advantage of his creative juices. And, and I, I like the way that they executed this. Yeah, I mean, I love the condensed. I think that it's awesome, you know, that you kind of take it kind of I, I love the simplicity of it. Um, right. I, I really do. But I I mean, I like I do like the new rebrand, but part of me wishes they would go back to the, the, the I mean, the best Cavs logo was when LeBron came to the team uh, the first time in 2003. And I, I just I love that logo. I love that design. I love everything about it. So part of me wishes that yeah. they would go back to that. But um <laughs> But man, I mean, those jerseys too were crisp, fresh. I love that. But yeah, no, I know I really enjoy. I think that the the kind of the nod to like the old Cavs logos right. of the you know of the '80s and '90s was really cool, and they kind yep. of combine those. Um, yeah. And then yeah, I love the V too. That's really cool, kind of looking like the Larry O'Brien trophy. So yeah, I can't wait to see what the uniforms look like. Are they gonna now? Do you know if they're gonna be like drastically different, or if they're gonna be pretty similar with just the updated logos? I think there are going to be some things without giving away too much. I think there are going to be some things that people notice that are different with the logo. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be wild, crazy things along those lines Yeah. Um, from everything that I've heard, but, but there are subtle differences of things that people haven't liked about past jerseys that are going away from what I understand. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing is for, I don't know, five, ten years or something like that. There have been so many different logos for the Cavs. And, and it's not like they've changed. It's just that they have an alternate and then another alternate, then another alternate. It's yeah. like, okay, are they the C with the sword through? Are they just the C? You know what I mean? Are they script cavaliers all across? So I, I like the simplicity of the fact that, okay, it is the C, no sword, it's the calves with the V-net, and then you can condense that down to just the V-net standing on its own. And then, of course, they have the world logo as well, which is going to be a part of their brand for, for many, many years. But yeah, so I, the, I just thought it, in the past it got too busy and too complicated. And maybe that's my age coming out at this point yeah. in my life. <laughs> well, the sword is the sword is gone. You're right. The sword is not is yeah. is no longer there. They've had the sword since the since 2003. So the sword is gone. No swords uh, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, and I, again, I, I love the fact that it's very simple. You're right. It's simple. It's just um, pretty crisp. And I love. I still love the C. It's still a great C. It's a you know it's a phenomenal C. And I I, I love it. I love it. So I'm 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 happy. They've got to do. Go ahead. You know this, Hayden. They've They've got if if the the big emphasis that they're putting on is that okay we're eliminating navy completely from the color palette um, and we're going wine gold and black and yeah. gold is the emphasis gold is back gold is the standard that's their big slogan yeah. um, when it comes to this rebrand anyway that's their big slogan that gold is back yeah. so if that's the case and they're going to feature gold prominently they've got to execute it right. Yep. Because if they execute it wrong, right, it's going to come across the same way that the mustard yellow did. Like, what is this? Why are we the wine and gold if we're going to have mustard yellow? You know what I mean? So it's to me, 
you can have this rebrand, you can have these new logos, and, and everything can look good and feel good, but you've got to use gold properly if you're going to emphasize it that much. Right, and I think they will. I mean, I don't foresee like a gold jersey. Maybe I do. Maybe I do foresee a gold jersey. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it, like you said, they have to execute it right because I could see it being really hard to execute a, a gold jersey. <laughs> It reminds me of like those old Washington Wizards. Remember when they would play the Cavs in the playoffs yeah. and wear those hideous gold jerseys? Yes. Oh yes, I do God. remember that. Oh my God, those were wretched. Brutal. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Just awful. Awful. I'm looking at a Karan <laughs> Butler Wizards gold jersey. Gross. Yes. Gross. So they can't do that. They've no. got to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, have to avoid that. By the way, I mean, I know this is unrelated, but... Uh, there's an article that says the Wizards may bring back the gold and teal um, uniforms they used to wear. So that's interesting. I, I do like the red, white, and blue. I mean, you're the Washington, D.C. Wizards. Come on. Right, I mean, right. The American theme. But anyways, uh, yeah, no, as long as they as long as long they don't pull a Wizards, I'm good with that. I'm good with the gold jersey. <laughs> and it's um, great. It, they, are, they are eliminating bl- uh, blue completely. Yes, completely. It's gone. Which... I think the only person in the organization that really, really liked blue was LeBron. Yeah. I mean, well, and he's gone. <laughs> Le- LeBron loved wearing the navies. He loved them. Those navy jerseys um, are still some of the best jerseys, though, man. I'm telling <laughs> you. Those are fire. Yeah, part of the reason why, Hayden, those are so good is because the era that they're attached with represented, like, really, really promising basketball. Oh, if, if they would have been a lottery team over and over and over again, and that was your recollection of the, the Navy jersey, you probably wouldn't have the same feel. Maybe you would, but I don't think you'd have the same feel for it. Part of the reason why the people love the black jerseys of the past, the sleeved ones, which I thought got hideous at times. I, yeah. I um, is be, Because they won those, uh, they won the championship in those and because, you know, that represents the best era of Cavaliers basketball. Here's the only reason I'll disagree with you, because I don't like those black sleeve jerseys. I never did. I think they were awful. <laughs> okay. So, like, even though they won, I mean, it, the, you know, I, I thought the jerseys were awful. But and then I'm looking here at, like, the old, like, the Zydrunas Ilgowskis, like, um, black and teal and orange. Like, those are fine. Oh, yeah. And they were terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those were... Those were underratedly bad. Um, yes. That's the way that I'll put it. Yes. They're, dude, they're so fire. They're so bad that they're good. It's it's weird. <laughs> and then, like, you got the Mark Price. I mean, they look like the Florida Gators, but, like, such an iconic logo and such an iconic jersey. Like, simple, but really out there. But isn't this kind of, like, how it goes, right? Throwback is in. And, yeah. and when those when those jerseys occur... You're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, what are they doing? What were they thinking? Yeah. And then you get 10 years away from it or 20 years away from it, and you're thinking, wait, those might have been better than I thought initially. Let's right. bring those back. Let's wear those. Let's support those. I think the nostalgia factor attached to them is is what people actually like. But to have, like, a big paint splotch across the front of a jersey <laughs> – doesn't make a lot of sense and it's not very aesthetically pleasing no no but i i hey i i hope but I wish now it- but now
but now 20 years later or 25 years later, whatever it is, when throwback is in, now you want to wear that and you can be different with that. Right. Exactly. I think they, I think they should just wear all throwbacks all the time. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> just wear all throwbacks. Just Harken the, back the, to the seventies if you want yeah, to. Yeah, just, just yeah, just the, the entire thing is just throwbacks. That would that, I'm waiting for an NBA franchise to do that. Be like, we don't have a current jersey. We're just gonna use all the old ones. <laughs> that would be wild. Oklahoma City. Oklahoma yeah. City has to wear Seattle Supersonic stuff. Exactly. Exactly. That would be. <laughs> they're wearing like Sonics jerseys. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's always funny to me that I that Kevin Durant got drafted by the Sonics. Oh, I know. Kind of weird, huh? Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they do. I love I'm I've always been a sucker for like I'm a creative guy. So I was like I'm a sucker for like rebrands and logos and uh colors and stuff like that. Like it's always been a thing for me. And I, I think that like it's fun that you know the Cavaliers do it kind of often, but also like maybe this will be yeah. the one that kind of sticks. I mean, you know, when uh, you look the Browns don't really change very much. The Guardians obviously right. had a huge, massive change, but they really didn't change yeah. that much in, in certain regards. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun. I enjoy it. I also get the sense, too, Hayden, that the color scheme is one that is probably going to be around for a long time. I think there are enough people within the organization that recognize that it's got to be gold gold. They're yeah. always going to keep the wine. It's called Cavaliers line in their media guide. Yeah. And I think they understand that if they're going to execute um, gold properly, they're probably going to have to have black attached as well. Right. So I black. think this color scheme is probably the one that's going to last for a long, long time. Right. Black and gold is just iconic. It's an iconic color. It really is. It's a great wine to it. It's, it's great. It's great. You need to pull up those PSG kits. I'll They're pull them up really, right really nice. PSG I, I saw those. Yeah, um, I think it's Paris Saint Germain or something like that. It's a soccer club. Um, PSG kits. Gold. And if you type in PSG gold kit, I think it'll come up. Not the gold. They have gold ones that that are basically all gold. But I'm talking about the wine, black, white, and gold. Those are really, really nice. And oh, I, I saw uh, that in the presentation, right? Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. I, the one thing about about soccer that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and bolt BS. Like, I think it's cool. I think it's cool to like soccer in the United States right now. Like, I think there's like a really like a group of like you know Larry Nance Jr. is huge into soccer. Like, there are a lot of people that just love soccer, and I just am not one of those people at all. Yeah, I mean, I love watching like uh, Ronaldo and stuff, but I mean, other than I just yeah. can't do it. The World Cup's fun, but I don't know. I I can't just pick a team and roll with it, you know. Man, before Nance got traded, I sat down with him and I was going to do this huge feature story on how much he loved soccer, how it came to be, how he got attached to Chelsea of all teams. And that's always been one of my biggest Chelsea's questions. Chelsea's like, you, that's to Chelsea. That's like saying he got attached to the New York Yankees, isn't it? I guess. I don't know soccer well enough to say that. But one of my biggest questions for people that love soccer, Premier League soccer, that is, yeah. it's always, okay, how do you find a team? Right? Because if you're in Cleveland and you're from Cleveland, that's ingrained in you. 
it's it's the city that you're from and you're going to support the teams within your city you know what i mean um or for me you know i grew up i watched kobe kobe gave me a love of basketball that i didn't have um from watching the Cavs. it's just because of the era that i grew up in and kobe reached me on a different kind of level when i went to the 97 all-star game he won the dunk contest and i was looking for a young player that i could attach myself to um so for the most part, you're a fan of the team in, in the city that you're from or the city where you live. Right. It's just a natural progression. So I've always found it fascinating to, to ask a lot of these people that love soccer, okay, how do you become a Tottenham fan? How do you become a Chelsea fan? How do you become a Liverpool fan? Because you're not from England. It's not a regional thing. And the way that Nance explained it to me is that he was watching the World Cup of soccer um, at one point, and, and there was a player that really, really stood out to him, similar to the Kobe thing for me. There was a player that really stood out to him, and, and the team that, that he played for for Premier League was Chelsea. So he just followed that particular player, and then he became a Chelsea nut. Well, who um, wasn't? Oh, I don't remember the guy's name. Drogba? Um, no, no. You could probably go through a list of the greatest Chelsea players and throw them at me, and I would hear the name, and then it would make sense to me. But it was not um, It was not anybody that recent. Frank Lampard? If I remember. Nope, it was not him. Eden Hazard? Nope. Okay, well, we're not going to go through the list. <laughs> I forget. I have the audio still, and I have the transcription still. Okay. But then Nance got traded. So that didn't work out well for me. Well, I think, you know, it's funny. Like, my you you mentioned, like, ways to become. I know we're getting a little off topic, but it's the offseason. We can do that. Um, yeah. You mentioned, like, you know, ways to become a fan of a team. Like, I, I grew yeah. up in Florida, but my grandfather was, like, my best friend and such an influence on me. And he was from here. Mm. So he, like, made me obsessed with, you know, Cleveland sports and the Cleveland sports teams as a kid. And obviously sure. LeBron, um, you know, him being so... Like, you know, such a big star for Cleveland was, you know, huge for me like growing up. And then, like, but I think for other people, like, one of my my best, best friend in the world, he it was born and raised in South Florida. And I think, you know, yeah, I think he has an appreciation for the Marlins and the Heat and all that. But, like, his favorite team of all the teams in the United States is the is the Tennessee Titans. And it's just, he said, what? yeah, he said the reason he fell in love with the Tennessee Titans was he was like four years old and he saw the Titans logo and he was like, dang, like that's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And it all kind of ties back to the logo. So he loved the logo and then he like fell in love with Steve McNair and Eddie George and they were like Super Bowl contenders at the time. And he he's the, still to this day, the biggest Titans fan you'll ever see. It's, he's, he's a wildly, wildly passionate Titans fan. So it's kind of funny how even like something as small as the logo can really, you know, know, yeah. Think about back in the day when you were playing Madden, whether you were in high school or you were in college, I almost became a massive Houston Texans fan because I always used the Texans and I think I used the Panthers back in the day too. Because you could toggle with the jerseys you could toggle with the jerseys and the Houston Texans had this blue on blue that I thought was really, really awesome. And the Panthers had this black on black with a pop of teal. 
Yeah. And because of the logo and uniforms, I almost became huge fans of those particular teams because I always played with them in Madden and I got to know their players on like a level as if I knew them as the Cleveland Browns. Right. I, I always love the Vikings for that reason. I, I think the Vikings logo is awesome. Like I know it's purple and yellow, but I think it's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. Like just have like the Viking horns on the side of the helmet. Like that's yes. badass. And then if you play Madden and you score a touchdown, they got the Viking horn going for you. And right, right. I'm, and I'm telling other, and you, man, video games, sports-related video games almost drove my fandom just right. because I played them so much. And then you had Dante Culpepper and, and Randy Moss. I mean, it oh. doesn't get better than that. Oh, yeah. Come on. Got to throw it down at 84. Good. Yeah. That, that's that's another reason. One of my good friends is, an, is a Vikings fan, and he's a Vikings fan because of AP. He loved AP. And he just was like, yep. man, where AP goes, I'm going to be a fan. So sure enough, he's a Vikings fan. Oh, Pretty by the way, I, I have a story about Adrian Peterson from back okay. in the day. Okay. You do not you do not call him AP. AD, sorry. You yes. call him AD. Yes, Because AD. his nickname growing up all day. was all day. Yes. yes. So I was producing a radio show at the time. Um and it was around the time that the Browns had a high draft pick. And as the producer of the radio show, I was responsible for trying to get, you know, some of these coaches of the draft prospects on. But I also went above and beyond, and I tried to get these draft prospects on the show before they were pick, picked by the Browns or wherever they were going to be picked. Just right. to see, hey, would you want to come to Cleveland? Is this something that would be interesting to you? What have your meetings been like with the Browns? All that kind of stuff. So I had to call um, Adrian through his agent and his agent put Adrian on the phone with me. And I said, before I put him on hold for my host, I said, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate the time AP. And (laughs) he bit my head off basically. I was sweating bullets because I was this young producer to begin with. And I'm talking to Adrian Peterson. He's going to be this top 10 pick. And then I call him AP instead of AD. And he made sure to correct me. Let's just put it that way. All right. Well, then I'm glad you corrected me then. I don't, I don't want, I love AP. I don't want to, or AD. Shoot. I already did it. AD. I don't, yeah. I don't want any, uh, I don't want any beef with AD, man. I mean, that's, that's, that's a goat right there. That's a goat. That's funny though. That's a good story. I love the, I love the tangent we've gotten on, but it, it does it all goes back to the rebrand and like the fact that you know I think that actually a lot of Cavaliers fans probably, I mean LeBron brought out obviously LeBron brought a ton of fans to the Cavaliers just because of who he was, um, yeah, and I think that you know now that he's gone maybe you know maybe there's a different wave that'll come because of Garland and Mobley and um, the new logo or whatever <laughs> whatever the case may be. Um, so as we move forward here, uh, not too much in the way of news in regards to the Cavs, um, but the big news is, and, and I'll start it off with a story. So one day I, I'm here at Crocker Park, and uh, it was the off season probably before the pandemic. I believe it was before the okay. pandemic, and you know, just you know, driving around or walking around or whatever. And I see out of the uh, coming out of Bar Louie was uh, was was Jamie Bickerstaff, and I was like, oh, okay, he was. I think he was an assistant at the time. Maybe not a head coach, whatever. And then behind him is this really, really tall guy. And I'm like, white guy. I'm like, who, who, like, what? 
like who is this so i look and i'm like oh that's luke walton and i was like wait a minute that's kind of weird he was like i think at the time he was the head coach of the lakers and i'm like what is he doing in cleveland with with jb bickerstaff and then you know you do a little research you're like oh they're like great friends and and you know they've been very close so when i heard that luke luke walton got fired by the kings i was like oh well yeah that's gonna happen i mean the 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 Cavs are gonna have interest. So lo, lo and behold, Luke Walton, the new assistant for the Cavaliers, has some ties to Cleveland. What played here? Um, yep, I think he's a great addition. Yeah, he brings a lot of experience, obviously, and JB knows him really well. They're very very close. And to further your story, before JB came here as the lead assistant for John Beeline, he was going to go to Sacramento. It was down to Sacramento with Luke Walton, be on his staff as an assistant, or come to Cleveland, help John Beeline make the transition. JB's relationship with Kobe Altman mattered greatly in that decision. Um, the, the, the way that the Cavs structured it to have JB be next in line to, to take over as head coach eventually for John Beeline played, played greatly into it. And obviously Bernie Bickerstaff, JB's dad, being – in the Cavs front office played into it as well. But but that just goes to show you the ties that, that JB and Luke have together, the relationship that they have with each other. And I think most importantly, Hayden, the trust that they have with, with each other. For, for JB to even consider going to the Kings, you know, the Kings with their reputation like that, to be Luke's assistant and how close they came to that, um, I think it speaks to their relationship and that trust. Um, he brings experience. From people that I talk to, he's more of an offensive-minded guy than a defensive-minded guy. Um, Obviously, he was with the Golden State Warriors on their championship team. That helps. Um, He's a former player. I think that helps as well. The level of respect that he has from players, I think that helps. He's very, very personable. So we'll see. It was clear coming into this offseason, Hayden, that J.B. Bickerstaff was contemplating Um, making some kind of move within the coaching staff. He talked to president of basketball operations, Kobe Altman. He said, hey, look, is there any room to just add another coach, not subtract one, just add one and beef up our bench even more? And the way that I understand it from my source, um, this is probably going to be the biggest coaching move that the Cavs make this offseason. There's going to be some morphing of roles the way that it was termed to me to try and figure out, okay, who's going to be responsible for what, um, where are these guys going to sit front of the bench, back of the bench, um, all that kind of stuff um, still needs to be determined. And and JB Bickerstaff is going to work those things out before training camp, obviously, but this is probably the, the, the biggest move that the Cavs are going to make within the coaching staff and, a big part of it was just to try and make this coaching staff as strong as possible around JB Bickerstaff and as experienced as possible around JB. Because if you remember, Aiden, last offseason, they brought in Sidney Lowe because of his experience, because of his work with point guards, and, and Luke Walton having a background as a big man in the NBA. Um, I think obviously he's going to work a lot with, you know, Evan Mobley. Um, Maybe if they draft somebody with the 14th overall pick, Lowry Markkinen, they both went to Arizona together. So um, that that's what initially that's what his responsibility is going to be from what I gather. It, it, it just made too much sense in so many different regards. So, I mean, you know, I think it's a good fit for Luke. I think it's a good fit for the Cavs. 
Um, you know, I feel bad for Luke. I, I just <laughs> honestly, and I, I know this is bad because like I, I I hate to say any team should be taken away from any city, but like Sacramento, man, it just it just feels like it's just never gonna get anywhere. So I feel bad. He, you know, he was the head coach there, and like it's just. I don't know, man. There's some about that place where it's just like they had their heyday with Chris Weber and Pagia and all that stuff, but like mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they can ever get through it. I, I don't know. It, they kind of seem like I guess if the Cleveland Browns can get through it, anybody can get through it. But I mean, goodness, it just it, it feels like a black hole out there. And we'll see too, Aiden, because Luke's reputation, what people feel about his ability as a coach, it's mixed around the league. I'll put it that way. Okay. Um, and he had a lot of success, obviously, with the Warriors. Um, and he filled in for Steve Kerr. But people put the yeah, but to that one. You know, right. yeah, but it was the Warriors. They were already established. They were running Steve Kerr stuff, not Luke Walton stuff. So there are people that wonder about his, just how high level of a coach is he? Right. Um, but, but I think it was clear throughout the course of last season that the Cavs were going to consider making uh, a coaching change or a coaching addition. And right. a lot of people were wondering, hey, does J.B. Bickerstaff, a defensive-minded guy at his core, does he need to bring in more of an offensive-minded guy, a quote-unquote offensive coordinator? That, that was brought up to Kobe Altman at his end-of-season press conference. Um, and, and maybe Luke Walton can, can help a little bit on that end of the floor because from what I've heard he is more offense than defense right right uh, is he is he going to be the lead assistant or is, is there no I mean Sidney Lowe is 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 there like no exactly I, person that's the lead or not the way that I understand it is technically J.B. Bickerstaff doesn't put those titles on okay. guys Okay. But Greg Buckner is the closest to the lead assistant that, that J.B. has. Okay. Um, if you remember when J.B. wasn't coaching for, for one of the games, it was Buck who stepped in into that role. If you remember when J.B. got ejected midway through the game, yes. um, it was Buck who stepped into that role. Yes. And when J.B. goes crazy on referees on the sidelines like he is known to do, it is Buck who goes, grabs him, tries to reel him back in. So um, that's probably the closest that the Cavs have to a lead assistant. And and that was the first hire, really, that JB made when he came to the Cavs was right. Greg Buckner. All right. Well, you know, I suppose, like I said, I think it's probably better to just have them all in their different roles. And I guess you don't need to have a lead assistant, yeah. say. So. Right. But I think I think Walton is, is a good definitely a good hire. I think he's comfortable in Cleveland. He's been there. He has the relationship with the organization. Um, and I think you're right. I think he can help a guy like Evan Mobley, um, help Jared Allen, help the big guys, and also just help offensively in general. Um, before we get going, Chris, and, uh, I do want to stop for a second and just, um, give us some time to, uh, talk about the subtext. Uh, we want people to sign up for your subtext, $3.99 a month, 14 day free trial. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash calves. Go to the top of the page, click the blue banner, and you will have access to Chris's info, insight, sent straight to your phone before anywhere else. Um, what better time than right now before the NBA draft coming up in a couple of weeks um, to see maybe what the Cavaliers are going to do with that number 14 pick or if they trade it. So I just want to get into a little bit of a draft talk before we go. 
Um, you talked with Jonathan. Uh, anything new on the on the draft front, or are they kind of you know still in the same direction with what they're going to do? Well, I think there are a couple of things that are new. Um, for the most part, the Cavs have spent this past week bringing players in um, for pre-draft workouts, and my understanding is they're more second-round types that have been in um, this past week. It's interesting, Hayden, because in the past, we've been used to the Cavs um, being in the top five of the NBA draft, top ten of the NBA draft. So a lot of the workouts that they conduct with prospects when you're drafting that high are 1-0 type workouts. Just bring them to your facility, run them through some drills, cones, see how they shoot the ball. And because the Cavs are drafting 14 and because they have 39, they're able to bring a lot of these guys into a three-on-three setting, maybe even a two-on-two setting. So you get to see them go up against some of these other prospects. And I think that helps with some of this intel gathering. But two things that, that I've heard that are relatively new. Um, there are two players that, that maybe at the start of this we weren't considering for the Cavs at number 14 because it was probably too high. Jalen Williams from Santa Clara is somebody that I do believe is in the mix for the Cavs at number 14. Okay. He is a riser because of what he was able to do at the combine and because people have had more time to dig into him. Six foot six, two way wing. Those guys are gold in the NBA. You know yep. that. Uh, he can play a yep. little bit with the ball in his hands. He can shoot from three point range. He doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective, but like I said, he can play with it in his hands. So that's somebody that. Um, I'm told is on the number 14 radar and this is going to surprise a lot of people, but there's a kid from Arizona, Dalen Terry, um, about six foot seven known more at this point for his defense, as opposed to his offense, energetic, versatile, both offensively and defensively versatile, um, there, there is somebody within the Cavs organization that likes him a lot. And I was told by somebody that I trust to put him on the number 14 radar. That okay. the Cavs do not believe, that some within the Cavs do not believe that 14 is too high for him. Now that might be surprising to people because the initial mock draft that came up immediately after the lottery had Dalen Terry going 39 to the Cavs. So the Cavs using their second round pick on Dalen Terry. But now a lot of intel is pointing to him being a surefire first round pick. And he could be the surprise guy that cracks the lottery or at least the top 20. Um, and that is somebody that I'm told the Cavs are working on trying to bring to Cleveland for a workout. Um, to, to my understanding, the, the date is not set for that workout yet. The Cavs are still working through the logistics of that, but they're trying to get him to Cleveland for a workout. And that leads me to believe that, that yes, um, what I heard about him being on the Cavs radar at number 14 is, is more accurate than not. Yeah. He's six, seven, 195. He was a four-star recruit top 50 or top, top 50 in the nation from Hillcrest. Yep. Prep. I can't find his age, which is weird. I think he's 19. Uh, he might be 20 at this point. Okay. 
yeah i can't i can't find his age for some reason but um and and that would be a pick hayden of more banking on the tools and the skill set and banking on the upside and and i do think that the Cavs have to figure out where where they're picking at number 14 is is it the right approach to try and take an upside swing and see if you can finally develop a two-way wing with the kind of size that, that you don't currently have on this roster and maybe right. find the long-term right. answer at, at the small forward spot, or are they looking for somebody who can step in and be a rotation player immediately in 2022-2023? In um, I get the sense that they feel upside swing might be the way to go because they shouldn't have had this pick anyway. Right. And and maybe somebody like Dean Wade or Lamar Stevens will be more ready to, to step into a bigger role this upcoming season. Um, I, I don't think they feel like they have the long-term answer at the small forward spot on this roster. And if they can't get that in free agency or via trade, you know, their best path is probably going to be the 14th overall pick. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I like that kid. I mean, I think that that size is good and you're right. If you're going to take an up, if you're going to take an upside swing, why not take one? Um, yep. You know, you don't have to. So two other things. Yep. Two other things really quick. I spent some time talking to um, some coaches recently uh, one of them was Jason Hart of the G League Ignite. He was obviously with Dyson Daniels. We've talked about Dyson Daniels on the podcast. The Cavs are interested in Dyson Daniels. The rest of the NBA is interested in Dyson Daniels. So I asked Jason Hart in my interview with him, and this was for a feature that I'm working on on Dyson. But I asked him in my interview, I said, hey, look, the Cavs are picking number 14. What are the odds? Any chance? And he said, no chance, brother. <laughs> so... The feeling from people close to Dyson Daniels, the, the, the feeling from people around the NBA that, that have scouted him um, is that he's he's probably going to be top 10 and, and maybe even top five at this point in time. Because wow. Dyson Daniels, with his size, with his shooting that has gotten better, with his versatility offensively and defensively, with his length, his athleticism, his playmaking, he's the kind of player that NBA teams are looking for. So no chance that he's available at number 14 and Malachi Branham. I talked to Chris Holtman, Ohio state Buckeyes head coach, Malachi Branham. We'll see how long that lasts. Everything. <laughs> What's that? So we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> Being Chris Holtman as their head coach. I like, yeah. I like him, but eh, I, 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 I could get, I could get started. I could get a start on the whole thing with the Ohio state basketball program, but go on. Yes. He was very gracious with his time. Yes. Him and I were on the phone for about 20 to 25 minutes talking about Malachi, the kind of player he is, the kind of prospect he is. And and I think like the sense that I got in, in talking to Chris Holtman and talking to other people around the NBA about Malachi specifically is that he's more likely going to be gone off the board by the time the Cavs pick at 14 than he is to be on the board when the Cavs pick at 14 Wow! because he's just such a great kid. There are so many things to like about him. His shooting numbers are fantastic. His work ethic is off the charts and he interviews great. So that's, 
So I just think some team in the top 10 is going to say, wow, this guy is not only safe, but there's some upside attached to him as well. Or some team before the Cavs, maybe not top 10, but maybe some team before the Cavs at number 14 just sees a combination of a floor and upside. And those guys usually go in the lottery. Right. Well, I mean, you, you spent your time talking to, <laughs> you're telling us that you spent your time talking to two guys that are coaching guys that probably will not be there for the Cavaliers at number 14 overall. <laughs> That's what you yeah. were told. I mean, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not. It's the sense that I get anyway. Right. That's wild. Well, hey, I, you know, if they, one can certainly fall to the Cavaliers, I don't think that there's any doubt. For sure. Any, yeah, crazy things happen in the NBA draft all the time, and guys that you think are going to be off the board at a specific number are still there, and, and you get surprises like that a lot. I mean, Devin Booker was the 13th overall pick, I want to say, something along those lines to the Phoenix Suns, and a lot of people thought he was going to be top 10 or he was a lock for the top 10. Bam Adebayo, Kawhi Leonard, you've got a bunch of those from the right. past. But the sense right now that I get is two guys that would make a lot of sense for the Cavs that they like a lot in, in Branham and in Daniels. The right. Cavs might have to look in a different direction. Right. Well, in regards to uh in regards to the Ohio State basketball pro- program, just for a second, because we've had a we've had a podcast full of asides today. I think all the Ohio yep. State basketball program is the most underachieving program in the history of college basketball as a whole. Because they have the like the number two athletic program in the entire United States and they just can't figure it out. They sh- there's no reason they can't get back to the Jared Solander days. I don't know why it's been so difficult for them, but that's just my opinion. Anyway. It's uh, hard, man. Think about the teams that they're competing against and think about the reputation that Ohio State has as a basketball program. It's different. That's, that's the problem. Get get it figured the right get get back to the days of the, the reputation being up there, man. I mean, maybe they'll never be a Duke or North Carolina. That's not necessarily what I'm expecting. Yeah. They can at least be a Michigan. You know? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. All right, anything else? No, I don't think. I think we right. covered it all. Yes, I think we did. Uh, and, we, and, and we had some fun asides, too, which is good. We, we lo- I love a, uh, a good um, off-season topic. <laughs> it's, it's fun to talk about, you know, different things. We talk so much about you know, what the fans really want to know about, which is the team, but it's also fun. Oh, to just, yeah. Like, I saw this, I mean, I've seen this many times, but, like, somebody said, like, man, two guys can just not know each other, walk into a bar, and just start random, random naming random old sports teams or sports <laughs> figures, and, and they'll be best friends by the end of the day. I'm like, yep, that's, that's exactly right. So I love that. I love that kind of stuff. All right, Chris. Yeah, I mean, look, Hayden, it's, it's, it's a long offseason. I think everybody understands that. There's time before the NBA draft. Then there's time before free agency. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about those kinds of things. We're going to have plenty of guests come on to talk about what's the right market value for Colin Sexton, what are some trade targets for the Cavs, all that kind of stuff. Yep, we'll get we into def- that. There's no doubt def- about it. We definitely will, 100%. All right, in the meantime, NBA Finals uh, started last night. Boston Celtics up 1-0, so that'll be an interesting series. Anything change? Anything change after Boston won game one over Golden State for you about how you felt coming into the finals? No. No? All right. No, I think think that Golden State wins big game two. 
probably wins game three. And maybe I think I think before the series, I would have said Golden State in six. So I, I'll stick to that. Yeah. I'll stick to that. What about you? I think there's some bets. I think there are some bad signs for Golden State. I never like to make declarations based on one game in a seven-game series, especially when you're talking about the NBA Finals, and you're talking about a team the caliber of Golden State, and you're talking about all of that championship experience that they have. But look, like coming into this, I thought Boston was going to be a difficult matchup for the Warriors to begin with. I still picked Golden State because they have that championship experience, and I thought that was going to matter. But that didn't matter last night at the time of game that it was supposed to matter. And the other thing is Golden State shot really well from yep. three-point range, really well throughout the course of that game. And, and well, Steph was fantastic for the Warriors. And they didn't win on a night that Jason Tatum was awful shooting the ball. So I think there are some bad signs for the Warriors. And I think there are some ways that, that Boston can bother Golden State, especially on the defensive end of the floor. Um, and it's something that I'm going to follow as the series goes on. There were some concerning things for the Warriors last night that go beyond just losing the first game of the NBA Finals. Right. Well, I guess we'll see. I, I still, I'll still stick with Golden State in six. I'm, I'm going to stick with it. Okay. I'm going to stick. I mean, with I had it. Warriors in seven because I thought it was going to be a dogfight to begin with. Yeah. But the first opportunity that they had to show that they had the experience advantage. Boston looked a lot better in that situation, which was shocking to me. Right, right. And they shot the hell out of the ball, too. I mean, they they were down 12. Oh, God. And then they made, what, seven in a row from three? Oh, it was unbelievable. Crazy good shot making. Yeah. I mean, you can't really, you know, that's kind of my thing is they're like, okay, I don't think they're going to shoot that well again. But if they do, we'll see. Yeah, no? but is Jason Tatum going to shoot as poorly? No, that's, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a fun series. That's that's what I will say. I, will, I think it'll be back and forth. It'll be good. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Appreciate you. Like I said, go sign to, go sign up for Chris's subtext. $3.99 a month. 14-day free trial. Go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Blue banner at the top of the page. And uh, you'll get all, side, all kinds of insight analysis, news, updates sent straight to your phone. So $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Go check it out. Chris, appreciate you. Thanks for uh, filling in for me last week and having a guest ready for us. And uh, we will uh, we will get back to it next week. Sounds good, brother. All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. And thanks for listening to the Wine and, Talk, Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Take care.